Hey, this is Alan. Our next episode completes the first full year of the Exponential Group's podcast. So I want to do something different. I want to answer your questions. To submit your questions for the special Ask Alan episode, go to alanwhite.org forward slash survey. Then come back in mid-December to hear the answers to your questions. And there's a bonus. One respondent will be selected at random to receive five free one-hour coaching sessions with me. Yes, free. Yes, one hour. Yes, five. This is a $750 value. So enter now by submitting your questions at alanwhite.org forward slash survey. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode 11. Today's guest is Dr. Bill Donahue. Bill supervises research and leads the professional doctorate program at TIU in Deerfield, Illinois. There he teaches transformational leadership, team building, and group communication. He holds a degree in psychology from Princeton, a master's from Dallas Seminary, and a PhD in adult learning from the University of North Texas. After working with PNG and PNC Financial Corp., he pastored in churches in Pennsylvania and Texas. He then joined the Willow Creek Community Church and Association, a.k.a. Global Leadership Network, for 18 years as Director of Group Life and Leadership, training leaders in the U.S. and globally. Bill has authored over a dozen resources, including the best-selling Leading Life-Changing Small Groups and Coaching Life-Changing Leaders. He created Bible 101 and Jesus 101 Study Guide Series and wrote The Irresistible Community, An Invitation to Life Together, to help people build transformational relationships with God and others. In 2010, Bill launched a leadership consulting practice serving churches, Fortune 100 companies, and other organizations, including Allstate, McDonald's, AbbVie. He also has served some of the most influential churches in the world, including North Point Ministries, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Saddleback Church, LCBC, Faith Promise, and Willow Creek. Bill and his wife, Gail, reside in Dundee, Illinois, and they have two adult children. You can access the show notes to this episode at alanwhite.org forward slash episode 11, which includes a link to a great new free resource from Bill called Three Practices That Will Transform Your Leadership Culture. Now, here is my interview with Dr. Bill Donahue. All right, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Alan. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm glad to, good to see you. It's been a while since yeah, we've has uh, been. talked and uh, you are doing a lot of coaching these days. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your, your coaching work and what you're doing with leaders. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, moved into this, although I've always been doing it in some way, right? If you're working with leaders in any form and you're helping them be better as leaders or just helping them take a next step in their faith or giving them feedback about things that help get better, you're coaching, you're doing some form of coaching. And so uh, what led me uh, into doing uh, some of the work I'm doing now is first, obviously doing it, you know, through the church world, through small group system and doing that kind of coaching, but I've always coached pastors and other leaders and helping them take a next step, as I mentioned, in a number of areas, whether it's vision development or 
what they call in the marketplace, more executive presence. Just how do you show up as a leader in a, in a situation, meaning not your posture per se, though it could be that, but it's more, how do I show up with intention and listening and engagement and you know, seeking first to understand and all these kinds of things. And so I would be working in, in church with those things. And I have a couple of people come up to me and say, can you do this for my business? And I said, I think so. And it was a good friend. And he goes, just leave the Jesus language out. (laughs) Not because he's not connected. It was more, you know, that's not where we are. You know, we're a corporation here. So it was fun to go in and work with some. Actually, he said, I got four groups of millennials I want you to work with. Each one's got about 12 to 15 people on their team. And um, they're, they're doing great. But because we're so flat and there's so much going on, what we need is to raise up some people who can kind of mentor and coach and do some of these things. So one thing led to another there. And then more more doors started to open, if you will, in that world. So now I work as an executive coach generally, a lot of one-on-one work, although I do work with teams. And I have clients now in big pharma. I have hospital systems. I've got uh, manufacturing companies. And all. I like healthcare. If all my work were healthcare, that'd be fine with me because I just think the mission of it is so, you know, good in mm-hmm. the sense of, you know, what, what we're trying to do in those kind of circles. So I resonate with it coming out of a church world and that that nonprofit sort of kinship mm-hmm. and the sense of transformation, which is a big theme of mine and why I love coaching. So, so and I've, I, I gave you questions and I'm already off my list. As you're coaching, kind of generally speaking, since you know, a lot of pastors mm. listen to this podcast and a lot of pastors talk to a lot of church people. You're mm-hmm. talking to people that are not necessarily church people. Yeah, right. So people out there in healthcare, in these other industries, what are they struggling with right now? I think it's depending, again, you, you got a lot of variables there, but I'll give you a few things I see. One is focus. Uh, they don't know how to... Uh, you know, what's coming in the door next, so to speak. And I don't mean that just literally because some of the places have someone walking in the door, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a sense of there's so much constant change with VUCA kind of language out there, the volatility, uncertainty, all those things that are uh, happening. People have to be so flexible. I think the biggest challenge is to stay focused, help their teams get focused. It's also just really, you know, agility has been a big theme for at least the last five or six years. I have a close friend I do some work on a coaching team with, uh, she just put a big compendium together of a lot of different things that in the world of agility and, and the function of that, of just being able to pivot and react to the change. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. It's just how do we drive change in a place of constant change mm-hmm. and work with people? And this would be more in church role who don't want any more change. I mean, I think that's the challenge and where we are a lot is people are coming into the church and they're thinking this is the last safe, immovable place. It's got historic value. It's thousands of years old, all these things. You're like, ah, I can come in there and they walk in and say, well, here's our new direction or here's our, what we're switching ministry focus. And, you know, and like another change. Great. Just what I wanted. Uh, So I I think that's, that's some of the big things. It's change management and it's staying adaptable and, you know, leading with integrity in those environments. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. It's a very anxious time. You know, in the middle of all of that, I, we added one more change into our life in that we moved a thousand miles away back to my hometown. Mm -hmm. And even the change of now, what closet is that in? What drawer is that in? And wait, last week it was in this drawer, but now it's not in this drawer. Where is it now? And it's kind of like everybody's whole life is like that right now of, you know, trying to figure out where, where things are, are located. Now, as, as a coach, 
what role or what place do you find in, and you can speak both in the corporate work you're doing as well as the church work. Yeah. A lot of it's similar. Sure. Yeah. How, do, how does coaching fit in? Um, Cause we don't see the word coach in the Bible, um, but how does it fit in as far as personal growth, spiritual growth? Uh, what, what is the role there? No, who was a great, there's a couple of great coaches in the Bible. I would say Paul was really good at it. And if you don't believe it, read Romans 16, right? I mean, there's so many people, the fellow worker comment, the, uh, Men and women, 40% are women, men and women that he worked with, worked alongside of, invested in. And he's got a, you know, obviously wasn't a perfect person, but he had a great modeling technique. And it, it's the classic, you know, he knows how to do something. They see him do it. He, he partners with them. They do it together. He delegates it out to them. They start doing it. He gives them feedback. And then he mm-hmm. says, see, I'm going to another city. Will you stay here? And I'll be back in six months, you know. Uh, it was a little bit different than today, maybe, but it's just that it's a, it's a standard operating procedure of, you know, identifying a need that you need to meet, right, with a leader. A leader wants to make progress in some direction. They want to either show up better and how they, like I said before, cast vision or how they add new members to a team and help that team function when seven of them have been there five years. Now we have three new faces in the room and how we integrate a team. Uh, this is a lot of issues. So whatever it is they're working on, you've got that. Okay, let, let's work on that kind of target in mind. But then they need to see somebody do it. And I think that's really important to have some kind of, if they can, if they can watch watch someone do it. So watching other leaders lead, uh, getting around. So, so, for example, when I'm coaching someone, I say, when you're in the room on the executive team, what are the key leaders you admire? What are they doing? What's your CEO doing? How are they responding to conflict? What are they doing with really hard questions? How are they dealing with people who are highly energetic? and are really off track. If you admire their leadership, watch what they do with those people and begin to emulate it. So there's a little bit of a show, but then there's a sense of, okay, how do I do that? And that's where I can observe them uh, in those kinds of settings. So it just goes back to the teach, demo, uh, observe, and give feedback. So the biggest thing in coaching world or any theater development world is feedback and the, the willingness to give and receive it and then to put it to use. So that's kind of the world I live in with people, regardless of the role they have, where we're trying to say, you know, where, how do we get you forward and how do we give you the right feedback along the way from the right people so that you can get truth and honesty working on you. And then you have to be willing to say, okay, if that's who I am, I want to change, I want to grow, I want to develop. I've seen where, you know, if you don't request feedback, you you get feedback, but you get it in a very unpleasant way. Right. Of people and you only get negative feedback. That yeah, way yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you have to allow that place, but then you also have to know how to process it, what to keep and, you know, to spit out the seeds and, you know, that sort of yeah, thing sure. as well. It's like, like my big folk, a couple of things. One is accelerate people's leader development, working with leaders uh, is a big one. And then the transformational leadership component, meaning you know, changing the culture of leadership. We have so much bad leadership. Name the arena. You got bad leadership culture in there. Not everywhere, but a lot of it. And I think people really resonate with how do I deal with that? I had good response on a, some video clips I did on that, the real short, just dangerous leaders, dangerous mm-hmm. leadership, how not to be one and how, how to work with them. I, I think it resonated with people because they have them around. And some of these things like stress or tension exacerbate the problem. Mm-hmm. So one of the assessments I do and work with leaders gives us a sense of what you're likely to be triggered by. Because we not only want to work with your strengths and help you maximize those, we want to know what barriers are sticking there. For some people and for most of us, it's stress. And actually, this assessment says it's 
stress and the things that cause it or overuse strengths. And I think this is something people miss. A leader that overuses their strengths, that's a problem. So teachers talk too much, leaders push too hard, analysts lock themselves in a room and dig too deep. Our best comes out of us, but that's all we do. And it's on steroids. We ignore what else is going on. So the other voices, so to speak, in the room, the other ideas, the other creativity gets kind of zoned out because we're in our strength and you're like, I got it. You may not even know you're saying that, but whatever you have, whatever tools you have, you come in there with those tools and you start working hard. Everybody else is like, whoa, you know, can we weigh in here too? You know, uh, <laughs> but I think to be able to give people feedback, it's not just, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. It's, hey, you've got some great strengths. Here's where you're crushing people with your strengths. That kind of feedback for people to really see that and go, oh, okay. Yeah, I hear that. Clearly, every person we work with is a person that's imperfect. You know, you can fixate on another person's imperfection, or you can learn how how do we adapt in a healthy way to accomplishing the goal without being focused on, well, if they would only do this, or if they would only change this, if they would only say it that way. Because I mean, the reality is, you know, in our culture, it seems that there aren't a lot of healthy, well-balanced people accomplishing big things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I see a lot of pastors talk about the importance of self-care and all of that. And it's like, well, they're saying that because now they're doing consulting and, and they're not, uh, you know, they're not in the role anymore, but I'm not saying that all pastors are unhealthy. I don't, or, or should be, but I think the culture kind of feeds on this overachieving and overachievers don't tend to be, you know, always the, the nicest or the most balanced people. I think you're right that you have to set time aside and intention to do the inner work to, to invite, you know, feedback, really good, spot on, clear, honest, developmentally oriented, not just critical uh, feedback. Yeah. Of course, I have to admit, I spent a lot of my younger years chasing my tail, doing a lot of things. I look back now and shake my head and say that was completely unnecessary. So yeah, some of the things, you know, we've had people in our lives. I had a conversation in my life at one point that really, you know, helped a lot in the, the sense of feedback. When someone just sat me down, looked me in the eye and said, you know, it's a story I've told often, but I'm watching you. Why do you, you're really good at this and you're not good at this, not as good, but you're spending 80% of your time on, on the thing you're not as good at and only 20% of your time on what you're really good at. And my question is this, why? Mm. It was a great question. And I remember thinking, shut up. <laughs> in my head, my first reaction, like anyways, defensive <laughs> anger, you know, inside, of course, sure, it was a supervisor sure. so it was like, mm, like that. But inside I'm thinking, really? And then the Holy Spirit the whole time is going, he's right, he's right, he's right. I had to really reflect on it for about 24 hours. And I was, and the question was, why am I doing that? And it was because I thought I had to become like a particular person mm-hmm. that was really admired mm-hmm. and their leadership was admired for certain things. And I thought I need to be that. And I, I described that to him a couple of days later when we met again, he says, we already got one of those. We don't need another one of those. We, we want you. And so I, this is the first question I always ask when I do like 360 or stakeholder interviews about a person. Uh-huh. Say, let, let, you know, say, so it's Alan. So, so I say, when Alan's at his best, what do you see? And I say, it could be behavior, skills, attitude, performance, anything. But when you think of Alan at his best, what pops into your mind? And those are the first things I want to work with, with someone not, hey, let's talk about how Alan falls short. Like you said, you don't want to just get that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. But someone who, who's willing to say, you have a strength, we can accelerate that. But at first, I want to find out what that is. And after talking to 12, 14 people like that, you start to see some themes where people say, oh, well, I'll tell you what, turn them loose on X, turn her loose on this kind of a project or 
give her a group of people to lead in this direction. She's amazing. She created vision and they'll tell you and you'll start to see those themes. And then you can say, okay, are they using those to the max? And then I'll ask, of course, later other questions where we talk about more of, less of, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of or what gets in the way? And they, well, and then they'll give you that one thing. It's a real nugget usually because it's, it's not always something someone's aware of as much. But when they get the feedback, they go, oh, and then it's actually good because they go, now I know why I'm having that problem. Hmm. So this can help me remove a barrier and I can, I can make some progress. So you're facilitating something. You're not being prescriptive. Right. There's only certain times when in the coaching world, you sort of want to be in and sort of do a tell, you know, and a teach. And there's time for that. And everybody has a little different style. But generally speaking, you are trying to help someone do their own work. And, you know, we have famous sort of cliche, if you're working harder than the person you're coaching, you're not doing a very good job. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, here you go, try this, your next three meetings, when you hear this respond this way, take some notes, and I want you to do this kind of, you know, maybe reflection during the day a few times and keep a record of that. And we'll talk about that next time. So the person has some work to do, some things to try, and then start to become self-aware. The walk out of a meeting and spend your next just two minutes on what did I do well in there? What was hard for me in there? Why was I angry when I was angry? Why was I excited? What did I notice about the room? How did I read the room? Whatever we're working on, get get them doing the work themselves. And pretty soon they start to go, you know, you're in a meeting with them and they'll start to do something. They go, ah. Uh, sorry about that. I started to take over that conversation there. Let me pull back a minute. Let me make sure you all have a chance to weigh in on this. And everybody in the room's like, who's that guy? We've never <laughs> met that guy. <laughs> I worked with a really, really high-end brain surgeon has all these projects going, he has 30 patents for neurotechnology in the, from the most in the country. Wow. And I just happened through a relationship said, can you help with help with this guy? And you'd think, what does he need help with? Well, what do you need help with is like many surgeons in the OR aren't the happiest people around. They're not people you want to, I mean, slightest thing can get them hacked off and angry and, you know, energy comes flying and it's kind of known like he's a great surgeon, but there's always a, but, you know, or she's really, but, you know, after that. So I said, I want you to try something. When you ask people when you do your debrief, because they always debrief the operation to go around the circle. And I said, I want you to add one question, say, how was I as a leader and as a person during this last, you know, surgery? He, I said, so he did it. So I, I met with him and I said, how, how'd it go? I said, well, what did they do? He said, they all went like this. <laughs> jaws, jaws open and kind of looking at each other like, is he kidding? Is he inviting us to do this? There's no way I'm giving him any feedback. And he says, well, we'll try it again next time. And he said, I'm going to keep asking until you give me feedback. Wow. Finally, some people pulled him aside outside the OR. When they left, he said, um, I, I don't want to do it there, but are you open? Are you really open? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm really open. And I said, use me as an excuse if you need to. He says, yeah, someone's helping me with this. And I'm trying to do some learning. And it was just, when somebody makes mistake, correct them, don't crush them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I said to him, ask this question, what does it look like when I'm crushing? Well, in this case, it was some language. Okay. But in addition to that, it was like dressing people down in front of everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just humiliating. And the humiliation, it'll get the job done, but you'll have a person who, when you leave, will say, he was a great surgeon, but he was a jerk. Mm-hmm. I said, do you want that? And he said, I don't want that. that. That's fun. When those kinds of moments happen, they're fun moments. And that little thing took his team to a new level because now they were open. They could get feedback. They had better conversations. Trust went up. You know, it affects a lot of things. That's and that's great. true in a church. It's true anywhere. Working pastors have the same challenge. 
Yeah. So when you talk about this kind of coaching and feedback, let's apply it to small group ministry. Yeah, sure. And so how does that, how does that help a leader and what does that look like? It can look like a lot of different things, but I think at the center of it, coaching is primarily at least one piece of it is, is encouragement. It's just helping motivate people and envision them for what we're about. You know, never, never leave a coaching connection without casting some vision. And I don't mean some big formal way, but give people or leave people with a picture of why we do this. What we are in this transformational growth in Christ, leading people to the Lord, watching them flourish, helping them learn about what, who they really are and how they can grow, doing that in community. It's just a few seconds, you know, saying, hey, boy, I'm so glad we had a chance to meet because we get to work with people whose lives are changing right before our eyes. Hmm. You know, even a statement like that will remind someone, oh yeah, this isn't just about, you know, did we end on time? You know, things like that. It's, there's something deeper going on, but I think it's a coming alongside kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're out in front a little like, hey, you know, uh, you know, watch me do this or something if you get in that kind of environment. It's not a, I'm behind shoving you, you know, into things you hate or you know, anything like that. It really is a come alongside kind of thing where we're walking together. I'm listening. I'm learning. We're finding out what you're doing, where you're struggling, and then, you know, being there for you in real presence. I think earning the trust through that relationship then makes it easier to say, can I give you a little feedback? You know, if you visited a group or if you just notice some, something about their personality in general, that they tend to do some something. And we're not psychoanalyzing people, you know, we're not trying to take them apart. But if you notice that they, for example, cut people off a lot in, in their positive energy, someone, they ask a question, someone starts talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that was that I did that uh, as well. And I'll tell you what happened. And you realize the person's like in their second sentence and, and then they pull back and they're like, oh, yeah. And they listen, they stop and they never come back around and go, oh, so tell me more. I'm sorry. I jumped in there. They don't do that. Then they go ask another question. And it's just you go, you know what? You tend to do that. So I would just say, here's a, here's a tip. Ask three questions before you. Make, I've got one guy who worked with us. Ask three questions before you make a statement. You're not allowed hmm. to say a statement until you ask three questions in the conversation. He goes, that's going to kill me. That's good. <laughs> and so, given that we're we're working in a world of spiritual transformation, it's really wanting them to feel confidence that they can play a role in that. We know the spirit does it, but we want them to know that they're listening, their attentiveness, their you know just reflection back. Hey, have you tried this? Tell me what's working for you. Tell me what's not. How can I pray for you? You know, just walking with people through that is so much a part of coaching. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Now, when we met, you were um, on staff at Willow Creek. You guys had, I mean, thousands upon thousands of small group leaders. And I meet a lot of pastors that have, you know, 15, 20, 30 groups. They can't find anybody to coach. They don't know how to find a coach. Well, you guys were forced. You had to have coaches. It was. What, it's still hard, though, to get them. Yeah. Yeah. So wh- who, what do you look for? And how, how did you how did you develop that many coaches? Yeah. So a few things. First of all, I, I always tried to model things. When I first came to Willow, I'd come from another church where I had followed, not, not at that person wasn't at the church, but, you know, Paul George and some of his writing and some ways of he was putting together a model, you know, for group ministry in the church. And he talked about this particular role in the church I was at had about, I'll call them 45 ongoing groups. And then mm-hmm. they had discipleship groups. They would launch for about nine, a nine month run based on a curriculum and some things every year. So it would jump up to about 60 groups and then back to that steady 40, 40 plus groups. When I started thinking about this model, I thought, absolutely. I've got these leaders I'm trying to meet and keep up with. Now there's 60 of them and then you maybe couples and maybe, you know, whatever. And granted, there's always some leaders who are fine. You don't, they need just a touch of connection and all. 
But if you got a lot of new leaders, and when we were launching things, when you're in launch mode, you have a lot of new leaders and they need help. They've never yeah. had a group before or whatever. What I realized is I, I was talking to people about this and finally one of, this is before I came to Willow, and finally one of, the, one of the couples said to me, so when you did this, how did it work when you coached? I said, well, I haven't been a coach yet. And then I just added right away. I said, but I will be. I said, I'll be coaching probably about a dozen leaders because I can do more being on staff but I'm going to learn this with you. But what I learned right away was that they were very open or generally pretty open to coaching one or two people, not five, six, seven, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, because this was also new to all of us. So, and my wife and I did this too. We had let a couples group together. We got to know people that way. And then she started coaching some women. I started coaching. She did started out by taking on while she was still, you know, she, she was leading a group for a while, but while she was leading, she took on two other leaders. And it's kind of like, just kind of be a mentor slash coach to those two leaders once a month, connection in this is pre-COVID, but what, what, you know, once in person and then maybe a phone call, quick phone call, how you doing? And, you know, you think about that, that's two to three hours a month, you know, and that, and you put in that, that time frame. you say, people go, okay, you know, I can, I think I can do that. And I said, I'll help you with it. We'll do the first few together. I'll get on a call or I'll, you know, I'll meet with you with the person I'll model some things, but we're just going to ask some basic questions. They get the idea. I said, just how your group doing? How can I support you? Are you running into any problems? How can I pray for you? You know, but just do this with one or two. And that works for them. You know, they get to learn to kind of mentor slash coach. And I know they're a little different, but it's that, that, that role of helping one or two not being handed seven, you know, and I think that can be overwhelming to people to think suddenly they have to do this. The other thing yeah. that intimidates them, of course, you know, this, they think that means being a, a better group leader in order to be a coach. Yes. It's just not true. That's true in any kind of coaching. Some of the best coaches in anything, sports, music, whatever, they're not the best performers in the industry that they're working in. They're just great coaches. My father, I always use as an example, he was a swim coach. He had 15 consecutive undefeated seasons, never swam competitively in his life. It's because he could see something in someone and bring the best out. He could get alongside him and say, no, you, you need to do this or, you know, whatever. And I watched him. He, he would tell people at the pool we, he worked at and we got to go to for free in the summer when he wasn't teaching during the year in school. He said, I can take your kid and I can have him, your kid's terrified of water. I can have him swimming in four, four lessons, four 30 minute lessons. And parents would be like, serious. And I watched my dad get in the water with a little kid who's seven years old in four weeks. The kid's doing freestyle down the pool. Wow. How do you do that? And he just was really good at affirming and encouraging and then modeling and then showing and you know, moving his arm. And all. But, but I just realized he was an expert at coming alongside people mm -hmm. and being able to reflect back what they need and help them do it. Didn't mean he had to be the best at it, but he could swim. So he knew about it. So you need to have led a group. You need to know what it's like to sit in that chair Mm -hmm. You don't have to be perfect. So I think that's the thing that keeps people from coaching. So that was another thing is casting a vision for what kind of person we wanted. It wasn't an expert group leader. It was someone who understood their way around group world, but was willing to give feedback and walk alongside of a fellow leader. And when they, they got it in that way, they kind of understood it and started to do it. And then we could add people. So, Hey, you do, you're doing two great. I got two or three more. Let's, would you ever think about being informally doing this? How about, you know, a group? And, and that's how we did it. That, yeah. that was one. There was always the ask. I always say, do you make the ask? So a lot of people tell me we just can't get coaches. When it comes right down to it, they don't literally sit down, look someone in the eye, no, no pushy way, but just go look and give them some vision. Tell them what your heart is. Say, I've watched you as a leader. And I think you could take a couple of people soon and just start to help them. They're new. 
You know so much more than they do already. That's not the issue. I just need you to walk alongside. So I'm asking you, would you try that with a couple of people for me? A lot of people will say yes to that. Or let me think about it and say yes to that. But sometimes we just don't ask in a really direct way mm-hmm. and describe what it is so they know it's doable. This is the step I'm asking you to take. I'm not asking you to be mega whatever. I'm just mm-hmm. saying help a couple of people who are where you were about a year or two ago. You think you can give them some feedback? Of course they can. They can't say no to that. So at least generally. The statement you said, I, I really love, I'm going to learn this with you. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to be way out ahead. You don't have to be the expert on that. And I think the other thing too, I found with coaching is most people, they don't have a grasp of what they're naturally good at and they don't have a grasp of what they're naturally bad at. Hmm. And sometimes it takes that objective person to say, right. when you do this or when you say this, or, and again, like you said, you don't have to psychoanalyze people. But just a matter of just noticing things. And they may just think, oh, well, everybody's able to do it, or this is just how we sure. act or how we've always acted one or whatever. Other, one other thing I noticed from asking your question, and that's a good point you make there. It made me think of this. Looking for people who talk about the ministry, not just their group, or talk about you know, broader sort of things, not just some problem they're solving. There's nothing wrong with that. But I remember working with some of my small group leaders, and every once in a while, a guy would say, you know, as I think about you know, what we were trying to do at the retreat there, or he'd make a comment, you know, he was just thinking broadly. He wasn't just thinking about how do I figure out what I'm doing next Tuesday, you know, in my group. And I realized this person thinks more holistically about the ministry, or they have an appetite for that. And I think you can look for that, too. Maybe see inside conversations with some of the small group leaders you, you talk with. See, see if those kinds of things come out. Because people that are talking things like, you know, I wonder if we could ever, you know, as a church or, you know, uh, they just seem to, to cling to those kinds of conversations that are bigger picture conversations. And I think those people are more systems thinking. They're more people mm. would understand you can get more done through a few than do it all by yourself, right? I can, co- I can lead a group of only so many people, but if I'm coaching five leaders, I'm touching 50 people, let's say. So people that do that in the marketplace already or in other settings where they touch a few who touch many, can get that vision of, oh yeah, sure. And uh, I think looking for that kind of person is, is another thing to keep your eyes up. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, we are about out of time and we didn't even get halfway through the questions. So you have, have to come back at some point. But anyway, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks a lot, Alan. And I, I appreciate you and your mentoring and work that you've done with so many. It's consistency and sustainability are really important. And you've been that person. And I want to hear, have people hear it. It may be bumpy times right now, but stay at it. It will pay off. Stay at it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Bill Donahue. You can find links to the resources mentioned in this podcast, as well as Bill's free download of three practices that will transform your leadership culture at alanwhite.org forward slash episode 11. Don't miss next month's special Ask Alan episode. To submit your questions and qualify for the drawing for five free coaching sessions, go to alanwhite.org forward slash survey. And if you enjoy the Exponential Group's podcast, please rate it and review it wherever you download your podcasts. If you don't enjoy the podcast, well, tell me on the survey. Thanks for listening.